0: Welcome to Cannabis Capital, the podcast, blunt truths
1: about the cannabis economy with your hosts, Ross O'Brien and Maggie Kelly.
0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Cannabis Capital podcast. I'm your host, Ross O'Brien, venture capitalist and author of Cannabis Capital, the book. And my colleague and co host, Maggie Kelly, is here. Maggie, did I mention I wrote a book?
2: You are shameless. Hi, everyone. We're so excited to have you here with us today. We have an excellent interview coming up with Paige and Chang, co-founder and CEO of Tea Check. But before we get started, we have our Cannabis Economy Challenge. This is a weekly challenge where submissions are read on the air. If you have one, listeners, please go to CannabisCapitalPodcast.com and submit your challenge. This week, Ross, a listener has submitted that they don't believe that kitchen products, which I believe they mean consumer slash kitchen products, are impacted by the cannabis economy. So could you please weigh in on that?
0: Well, I think kitchen products is actually a pretty straightforward one. And look, we have to look at it quite simply. And I love this challenge. We believe that cannabis has reached the boardrooms of every company everywhere, period. So Look, what, just look at what's happening with consumer behaviors and whether or not they have the resources and the tools that they need to do what they're trying to do. People are now creating their own recipes at home. They're creating their own baked goods. They're creating their own gummies. They've got their own in-house home use consumption happening. And the products that they have sitting on their counter today are insufficient to give them all the information that they need in order to, to make these things for themselves. Like a great example today, we're talking to Paytion. This is a handheld spectrometer that tests potency. I mean, that's now something that is going to be sitting alongside everybody's tools in their kitchen, along with uh, measuring spoons and an oven in order to create their own brownies with their own potency that they're looking for. So I think this one's actually a pretty easy one. So thanks for the softball for one of these first ones. But so far, I'm happy to say I'm batting a thousand on the Cannabis Capital Challenge.
2: All right, listeners, well, if you think you can stump Ross, please go to CannabisCapitalPodcast.com and click to submit your Cannabis Economy Challenge. Your submission just could make it on the air. Stay tuned for an excellent interview with Paige and Chang, co-founder and CEO of T-Check.
1: Hi, I'm Paige and Chang, and I'm the founder and CEO of T-Check. And my blunt truth is that entrepreneurship is hard Entrepreneurship in the cannabis industry has that much more difficulty to it. You better be ready for it.
2: Payton, hey we're really happy to have you on one of the first episodes of Cannabis Capital, the podcast. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and give us some background on T Check?
1: Sure. Thank you, Maggie and Ross, and I'm honored to be invited to this show. So I'm probably actually one of the last people you'd ever think would get involved in the cannabis industry. I was a military brat, and my father was in the military, and so it's about as conservative of a childhood as you can possibly imagine. I mean, military air base in Japan, which is a fantastically conservative country. All along the way, you know, as, as I went through school, undergraduate in New York and an engineering school, no less, and, and all that, something opened my eyes uh, a number of years ago, and that something was actually a friend of ours. Okay, and so. I, I grew up with a whole cannabis is bad kind of thing, but one of my friends came to me and said, hey, you know what? I, I treat my Parkinson's with, and this was somebody I very much respected and somebody I would have never thought was a pothead. And she wasn't a pothead. Okay. She was using cannabis to control a medical condition. And, and so that kind of cracked my eyes open. And, and she said, hey, I, I use edibles to control my Parkinson's and can you help me out? And being an engineer, of course, I'm all about, hey, let's go make a cool widget. And so we went and did some research, and part of my research was going out and talking with a whole bunch of folks who use cannabis. And boy, did my impressions change. It was it was an eye-opening experience. I found that there were doctors and dentists and lawyers and accountants and all these professionals, folks who, who use cannabis to manage something. Whether that something might be PTSD for uh, folks who, who might have been in the military or Folks who use cannabis to manage their Parkinson's or multiple sclerosis or some other kind of condition, and I learned a whole lot from all those discussions. And my my impressions for cannabis changed completely. And and that's how I got into the business. We we built this gadget for a friend, and in so doing, it was it was a life altering experience.
2: Well, I can relate to the, the uh, military upbringing. My dad was a drill sergeant in the army, so. <laughs> That was fun. If he ever offers to walk you to school, say no. You're marching.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You stay between these lines and very much between these
0: lines. Patron and Maggie, since you both had a front seat to military experiences in your family, Patron, what, what from those experiences translate to entrepreneurship? What what did you observe and things that we want to talk about entrepreneurship today? So what sort of things did you observe that you have now been able to adapt or would recommend other entrepreneurs think about when it comes to leadership and discipline and starting a business? Ah,
1: Okay. So actually there are a lot and and I didn't even think about it until you just mentioned it just now, Ross. So first off, you read in like uh, novels and stuff like that about military people, like failure is not an option, right? Well, you got to go into building a company of failure is not an option. You're all in on this thing, okay? And so my wife and I mortgaged our house and and dove into this thing. We cashed in our 401k and we dove into this thing. And so, yeah, failure is really not an option. Uh, Number two is discipline, okay? Because as I mentioned in my opening, it's going to be hard. And you you really have to have the discipline to push through some of the painful times. And there are going to be some. No matter what you do, there are going to be some painful times.
0: So we both have, we all have experiences prior to this cannabis economy entrepreneurship in starting companies. And Patron, we'd love to you to go through a little bit more about some of the companies that that you worked on and the things that you learned that you now translate because there's something to be said about veteran leadership and veteran entrepreneurship Mm -hmm. and applicable to these hard times. But when you talk about failure is not an option and discipline and the commitment what what do you see that enables you and your team to take that extra step to not give in where others might? Because that's just a something that happens in a lot of entrepreneurship.
1: Sure. So this is not, not the first venture, right? <laughs> so unfortunately, all I say, although I say failure is not an option, I have failed. Okay. Now, having said that, I, I've brought a lot of those learnings forward into this company. Okay. So one of my earlier failures was I was too protective of my intellectual property. So my... Yeah. One of my guys and I invented something. It was neat. And we were almost afraid to tell people about it for fear of them stealing our ideas. And then somewhere along the way, I learned that the worst thing that happens is not somebody stealing an idea. The worst thing that happens is nobody wants your idea. Yeah. There you go. That would really suck. You spend all this time and energy building something and everybody's like, who cares? (laughs) So you don't have a market okay if somebody steals your ideas now you have a competitor now actually competitors are good okay because that they validate your market i can go out and spend a whole bunch of money advertising but if somebody else is out there advertising well guess what there's two of us beating this drum and especially when it comes to technologies that folks have never seen before there are more folks out there saying that hey this technology is needed the more valid it becomes. And then your problem isn't convincing that people that, hey, you need this thing. It's convincing that, hey, my thing is better than their, their widget, whatever it may be. And so the message difference is, is very different. And so actually, I, I don't view competition as a bad thing. I view competition as a good thing because it uplifts the entire market.
0: I hope everybody is taking a lot of notes on this because yeah. Maggie's, we get a lot of opportunities to invest in a lot of presentations. Yes. And one of the number one things that I look for on the investment side of the equation, and Paychex, you're validating this. Is anybody who says there's no competition is that's a mm-hmm. complete? It's amateurish. It, it, you're it, lying, it or you haven't you done
1: your research. <laughs> yeah, yes.
0: yeah, or your, yes.
1: your your focus is too narrow, right? Yeah, you may not have competition in this tiny little bit area. Okay, that means you're not thinking big enough.
0: <laughs> if you think uh-huh. big enough, you're going to have competition. That's just the way it is. How to solve a problem that doesn't matter, why does it matter that you're trying to solve it? Uh-huh.
2: I like that you brought up the the apprehension about sharing your idea. Ross and I actually met at FAU. He taught entrepreneurship programming. I ran the actual entrepreneurship programming offerings. And part of that included our entrepreneur in residence program, so aspiring entrepreneurs, students could come in, meet with someone who has been there, done that, built in some cases billion dollar companies. And I would set up these free one-on-one mentoring sessions with these geniuses and I'd have a student sit across from my desk and say, "Well, what if I don't have an NDA?" I mean, I I can't share my idea. I'm like, "Okay. Let's back up a bit. You don't you haven't built anything yet. <laughs> and obviously you're identifying how hard entrepreneurship is. So if it's this hard for you, it's going to be just as hard for someone else." So like, it doesn't just turn around. Someone's created your idea overnight. That's just not how it worked. but it's, it's sweet. So all of you aspiring entrepreneurs out there listening, just understand within reason, it's okay to share your idea, especially if it's someone who is willing to genuinely mentor you Free yourself.
1: Yeah. And, and one of the things I've learned along the way is that there are a lot of people really, really willing to help yeah. and, 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 and Sometimes they want to help just because in a way it makes them feel better sure. because they know how hard it is. They know how hard it is. Yeah. And it just feels good to help people. And, and a lot of these mentors are just very much that way. I've also met some of these mentors. Actually I actually have some of these mentors and in one case, this guy's a billionaire. And so what do I have to offer him? Even if I make him 10 million bucks, it's a drop in the bucket. He doesn't care about 10 million bucks. And so it, it's, it's, Refreshing, actually, and, and amazing to, to,
0: to meet some of these folks who just want to help. And-, and isn't that a testament, though, to this whole topic, patron, about how difficult it is? And you said, I have nothing to, I have nothing to offer them, but these people know how hard it is and how rare that kind of success is. And to be able in some small way to help other entrepreneurs realize their potential, there's no dollar value you can put on that. It's actually positively impacting the world. And Maggie, I'm glad you brought up the university experience because I actually wanted to ask you, Payton, something about your choices that you made early on and in, in engineering. So it, look, we're talking about how hard entrepreneurship is. We're talking about ideation and IP and that having a you know, nominal value versus execution. So there's a lot of research now coming out of the Kauffman Foundation. There's a great book called Burn the Business Plan. And it turns out that there is almost no correlation to any entrepreneurship programs, in universities and entrepreneurial success, with one exception, a degree in engineering. So talk to us about why you chose engineering, how that sort of was a part of your life plan to go into entrepreneurship and and that sort of inception.
1: Okay, I hope this doesn't come across as a bit racist, but uh, I'm a Chinese guy. So (laughs) as a Chinese guy growing up in a Chinese household I don't get a lot of choices as far as my career path goes. Okay. I get to choose whether I'm a doctor, a dentist, accountant, or an engineer. Okay. And so uh, being a tinker, I chose the engineering path. And, and so that, that way that met my parents' expectations of me. And, and But having said all that, I'm very happy that I did. Because the engineers of the world are the builders of the world. We're the, we're the ones that, that get to go, huh. I wonder if I can build that thing, and so, like you said, a lot of ideas out there. But it's oftentimes, at least for you know our technology product, it takes an engineer to say, "Huh, I think I can build that thing," and, and that, that's where it gets started.
0: And, and how many other sort of engineers do you see coming into the cannabis economy now?
1: It's very different from when we started to where we are today. Okay, when we started six years ago or so. I was looking to I was looking for a software engineer to join the team to help us develop our product. And I remember this so well because there was this software engineer that was a recent college grad, and we offered her the position and she turned us down because she didn't want to be associated with the cannabis industry. (laughs) She would rather be unemployed than be associated with cannabis industry. And you know, wow. That was that was you know about five, six years ago. Today at least in engineering, it's much, much less true. So we do not have many, uh, as, nearly as many difficulties finding talent as far as engineering goes, finding talent. And, and so I guess back to the cannabis dimension of entrepreneurship, it's, it's sometimes it's a little bit harder. And so this was something that I didn't expect when starting the company. It was like, oh, there are people who don't want to work for us, not because we don't, we're not building an innovative product or salary or anything like that. They don't want to work for us just because we're cannabis. And so that was uh, a stigma that we had to overcome.
0: So you're still seeing a lot of those stigmas in the space today. I mean, that's why we talk about Maggie, the cannabis economy, right? right? Because when we look at, so we know your company very well. We're investors in your company, patient. We don't see this as a cannabis business in the sense like you're building a spectrometer, a handheld device. and And if you think about the demand for the person that was the inception of the company managing their Parkinson's, What a profound problem to solve with plant based medicine and spectrometer technology as an engineering solution. Like it seems like the perfect storm, and yet you're saying there's still these this friction with some of the stigma being associated. Yes,
1: absolutely. There's definitely still friction. I mean the the friction decreases a little bit every single day, but it absolutely is still there. Hmm. Yeah.
2: Sorry, if I can just interrupt you, Paige, and just for our listener benefit, if you can give a little background on what T-Check actually offers to the market, like your products that you have.
1: Okay. Because okay, sure. Because you're actually solving um, so, a
2: significant problem for individuals who have, you know, different healthcare issues and need to actually know what they're putting into their body.
1: So. Sure. Sure. So let's, we can roll the tape back to my friend, right? Who, who was the genesis of this idea. So she was using cannabis to treat her Parkinson's and she didn't want to smoke her medicine. Okay, and she preferred edibles. Now the process for making edibles is that you take the cannabis plant material, right? You it, and then you soak it into oil. Well the cannabinoids, a good stuff. In the cannabis plant it is very soluble in oil. It's completely insoluble in water. And so once you once you soak the plant, it's like making a tea. And when, once you've made this this infused oil, you strain out of the plant bits and you have this nice, rich oil to use. Now, the problem is that you don't really know how strong this oil the The potency of the oil depends on a lot of things, right? Like how well you decarb the plant, how much plant you use, what the potency of the plant is to begin with, what kind of base oil you use, all that, all that kind of stuff. And so she had a very, very difficult time figuring out how strong her edibles were. And, and sometimes she'd make a cookie and it was not strong enough, she'd have she'd have Sometimes she make a cookie, and it was way too strong. And it actually that was literally the question that, that, that generated the, the, the inquiry in the first place. Mm-hmm. She once took a cookie. It was too strong. She couldn't go to work the next day. And and, and so it, it was a random experiment. And so she ended up having to allocate two days every time she made a batch. She'd have to make it on a Friday. To, to ensure that the potency was right. And she'd have to experiment on herself to get the potency right. Well, a lot of us don't have that luxury of burning a weekend just to test our medicine to make sure that we get the dose. And so that's how this thing all got started. So now the device, T-Check, measures the strength of that oil. So you know exactly how strong the oil is. Therefore, you know exactly how strong your cookie is going to be. Now you can dose with confidence.
0: Brilliant. So Paychan, you were talking about some of the stigmas and identifying talent. Look, we've seen an incredible team that you've put together. So maybe you could talk a little bit about your team, how you've recruited them, who, what are the things that you look for? And for those aspiring entrepreneurs out there who are starting their own businesses, what are your recommendations for them recruiting or people who want to go work in an innovative company like yours? How should they approach it?
1: So yeah, I'm an old guy, I see the gray hairs. And so what that means is I have uh, a bit of experience. I've worked with a whole lot of people over the history. Now, I would say probably... A very large, I don't know what the number is, but a very large percentage of the the core team that that's developed T check were guys I worked with in the past in in, in previous uh, iterations or previous cycles of my career for X y or z large large company. And so and I think that was a a massive part of the early team. All of the co-founders actually all worked together at one point, right? One of the guys I used to play tennis with he used to spank me at tennis all the time. And the, the other couple of guys I used to bicycle with, we do these really, really long bike rides. And, and so that's how we got to know each other. Now, one of the uh, key things is you hear about these stories about people being successes pretty quickly. More times than not, it, it, it takes a bit of a slog. It's, it's a, it's a five year overnight success. And and so what that means is you got to live with these people for a very, very long time. Okay. We, we, the team spend a lot of time together. I've been to their houses, well, I many all-nighters to, to develop the product or come up with strategy or whatever. And so you, you better like these people or minimally, you better damn well respect these people okay, for what they have to contribute. And so that is a, a super critical part of formulating team. Now, as we continue to grow our company and continue to hire, a quote from my roommate, uh, one of my college roommates comes to me, which is, attitude is everything. Okay. And so nowadays, when when I'm looking at resumes or looking at whatever, the most important part is attitude. Are, are you a learner, right? Are, are, can you get through difficult or unknown, solve unknown questions, right? Because some of the problems that we have to solve are amorphous. We don't know. We don't even know what the real question is. And so you have to figure out what the question is, and then you have to force your way through it. One of my, one of my I guess, maybe you can say, is that when I'm looking at a uh, resume for an engineer, one of the most important things I look at is whether they have uh, Udemy or Coursera or something like that on their resume. Because what that shows to me is that they have a genuine curiosity and they want to learn on their own. And they, take, they spent their own time and money to go learn. Now, that's, those courses are cheap, by right? 10 bucks, 12 bucks, 30 bucks, whatever. But they took the time, they invested their own time to learn something new. And in this industry, there is always something new. I mean, heck, you can't turn around and find that you know the scientists have discovered a new cannabinoid or they've uh, figured out what can, uh, what the cannabinoid does to the endocannabinoid system in a person's body. So you're, the, 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 the technology we're building, the, the science that we're learning now, it's not in a book. You have to go figure it out. And you have to go hunt down that information.
0: Well, I mean, a lot of it's in my book, page, but... Oh, stay in your lane, um, Ross. You didn't <laughs> mention I wrote a book. This page and because we and I think this is why we work so well together. We echo that continual learning sentiment from the investor perspective. So we have our guiding principles published on our website, and these guiding principles are what we believe are, are critical elements and foundational elements of entrepreneurship. Period. Forget what sector you're in, and one of them is continual learning. And and so we look at the the challenge of entrepreneurship, much like yourself. I've had many failures along my career as a young guy starting companies, et cetera. One of the things that, that becomes consistent is it is about perseverance and it is about learning how to manage within that entrepreneurial construct, which is you don't have enough information, you don't have enough resources, you don't have enough time, but you got to make decisions. And so when those decisions are made, right or wrong, we look at it from saying, well, what is the thought process? It's not about reading a business plan or a presentation saying, oh, you've got all the answers Right. We want to understand what was the thinking that was in it, right? Given the, res- the constriction of resources and information that you have, what sort of thinking went into that? Because like you said, and we see all the time, it's all about the people, right? So one of the things we look for as well as listeners, that's continual learning that's absolutely critical. But we also look for uh, a level of humility, right? Where if you, if you challenge assumptions or challenge concepts, and I'd like to understand, Paige, and how you manage a team of really smart successful experienced people when you have to challenge assumptions and have to unwind things and people can get defensive and people can you know have disagreements like how do you manage those dynamics because that's really the day-to-day battles that are fought in the four walls of any startup company in any sector again i want to say gray hair helps
1: <clears throat> i can you know, think back on my early career where i was an unproven engineer and my perceived value was the stuff I had between my head, how good my, how good my engineering skills were. My boss might have perceived it differently, but that's how I perceived my own value. <clears throat> and so I didn't want to be wrong. I never wanted to be wrong. Okay. And so that caused me to dig my heels in sometimes when I shouldn't have. The gray hair helps because now I'm like, eh, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. What are you going to do to me? And my value is not so much the engineering or technical knowledge in my head, but my ability to get through problems. And so one of the most difficult things to do is asking the right questions. And and if you ask the question the wrong way, you can get a predetermined answer. And so you have to have people around you that are willing to ask very, very uncomfortable questions. And as the leader of an organization or a department or whatever, you've got to be willing to be wrong. And if you're willing to be wrong and acknowledge that somebody else is right or smarter than you or whatever, I think you can get to a whole lot better solution.
2: Sounds a lot like Bonaventure, Ross.
1: <laughs> oh, oh, and also for the manager, you better not kick your, uh, your team's ass for being wrong. That, that is like the absolute no-no. Okay. Bad decisions will happen. As long as those bad decisions don't like, kill the company, you keep on moving.
0: So so let's talk about fatal decisions and and the, the company life cycle. You've, you've got the gray hairs. I'm soon to be no hairs. We're somewhat getting a veteran status within the cannabis economy. And there have been so many companies that have come and gone in a very short period of time. And Maggie and I were just talking the other day about there tends to be this presumption that just because it's a cannabis related business, it's guaranteed to succeed. And a lot of our background has been in healthcare prior to being cannabis, like yourself. And the failure rates in startup entrepreneurship and medical devices is extraordinary. So so why do we expect, or from your perspective, why is there this idea that every cannabis business is going to be a wild success because people love cannabis and there should not be any failure? Oh, boy. So we have some assumptions, and, and look, this is one of the things we're trying to discuss in this in this forum: is have these conversations around the reality and the truths of what's really going on. We we came away from one of the big industry conferences a couple of years ago saying everybody was walking around in love with cannabis and as if that gave them a free pass in business that that they, they didn't require it. And there's this tension, right? There's this tension of advocacy. Acumen versus business acumen. Now, we wouldn't be here if it were not for these really tremendously effective grassroots campaigns of getting cannabis legalization on the ballots in communities, etc. But we look at that as not a free pass that these same people can just go start any business they want because it just happens to be cannabis and it's easy. Because we've just had a whole conversation around how it's hard. Oh, it's not easy. So. We're starting to, 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 to see a real uh, bifurcation between advocacy, acumen, and business acumen. And how do you see that competition-wise? How do you see that in the, you know, the, the, the people you recruit and the partners that you have? This is something that I think is really going to be painful as a transition for the cannabis economy to accept that these, these ad- legacy advocates who did a great job in that swim lane are going off and starting all these businesses. And, and we're starting to see now a lot of them are, are falling apart.
1: You know, at the end of the day, it's a business. And, and you have to keep that in mind. Just because you love something or, or because this 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 market space happens to be sexy at the time or, or, or there's a lot of uh, excitement around it. At the end of the day, you're still running a business. You still have a profit and loss statement. If you're not making a profit, you're going to die. So you got to come at it with, That perspective. At the end of the day, you you have to make, you have to build this creation that has to be self sustaining Okay. And it has to grow. And desire alone, or, or or, yeah, I guess desire alone isn't enough. I mean, look at things like, I don't know, electric cars, right? You know, everybody wants an electric car, right? The US government says we're going to mandate electric cars, all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, you still have to build a profitable car company. There, no doubt about it, there is a need out there. 100% 100% agree, okay? But 10,000 other guys in the next door also sees that there is a need out there, and you're going to have to compete with them, okay? And you're going to have to build a business model that can beat those guys. So I think you have to keep in mind you're building a business. I, I can't stress that enough.
0: And experience matters. There's a lot of business enthusiasts out there, <laughs> like there are car enthusiasts. Uh, I'm a car fanatic, but it doesn't make me the right candidate to go start the next Tesla
1: yeah yeah exactly or 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 build a used car dealership It 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 won't make any sense at all and and almost in a weird way too much enthusiasm kind of clouds your judgment a little bit because then you'll come on and think of course everybody loves this stuff why wouldn't they love this stuff that's obvious but well people are different and you have to figure out what it is they need and, and how to message that uh to people I ended up getting an MBA. And so I'm gonna say that's one of the more valuable experiences in my life because you gotta be able to figure out how to build a PNL and manage that P and L and then build that balance sheet and manage that balance sheet. Uh, and cash flows and all that kind of stuff. And and so you have to make decisions that are not necessarily based on emotion but based on logic. Just just because you love cannabis doesn't mean you need to be able to give it away for free or whatever. You have to be able to sell it for profit.
0: And that's the that's the you know. Underbelly of passion, right? So we talk about passionate entrepreneurs, and yes, I absolutely. One of the things we love about working with you, Patriot, is you're committed and passionate and have a long-term approach to solving really big needs. But passion is an emotion, emotion, which you just said, <laughs> right? So it, you have to have that balance, right? Of some element of passion, some element of acumen, some element of experience, some element of innovation. It's it's like your friend's recipes making the the, the cookies and the, and the brownies. It, you you get one out of balance, and the whole batch is 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 not going to you know be effective, right?
1: Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah.
0: So we this is really interesting, and I think the key takeaway is we we always come to the same sort of point in these conversations, right? It's that this idea of this. Irrational exuberance in cannabis, right? The green rush, this frenetic everybody's starting every business, blah, blah, blah. Like, that's fine. That was expected. And I think part of the landscape when you do have a regulatory change, which is the opportunity here, right? It's the regulatory arbitrage of legalization. But when the dust settles, as it will in any segment, it's it's really the foundational entrepreneurial success stories that are going to survive. And entrepreneurship, like you said, the number one rule is don't die, right? Like, don't <laughs> run out of money. That, that's all it comes down to, right? And I think we've struggled a lot with a lot of players in the space really cutting through the, the top line assumptions and actually peeling back the proverbial onion and getting to like, well, w- what are the foundational merits of this? What are the what are the constraints that you're operating with because we view constraints as a positive like constraints will give you the parameters with which to operate in a, a P&L is a constraint a cash flow is a constraint a your balance sheet and your indebtedness or your leverage and your assets and liabilities are constraints and you've got to operate within those and i think maggie that's the big thing that we always talk about in our four walls like it just gets down to fundamentals and we're really hoping that these conversations can bring back to the fundamentals of business and the fundamentals of entrepreneurship and then layer in the dynamic that is this tremendous opportunity in cannabis. And to your point, exactly. with a bunch of the you know, people rushing in, I think we, we, we look at it as it was inevitable, but we don't necessarily we don't necessarily see it being the only rationale to be in the business is just because like, here's what I'm trying to say. If, if an entrepreneur comes to us, like Maggie, we were just talking about this with one of the presentations and, and, and they want to spend five slides talking about how big the global cannabis economics are going to be. We're having the wrong conversation. Exactly. Like, we are fully committed to investing in cannabis. We have a fund committed to that. We, have, we don't want to have a conversation around the billions and billions of dollars. We want to talk about execution. How are you going to get there? What is your plan? How are you going to put your team in place? It's just refreshing to be able to have some of those conversations and to see what you've done with your team and your company, Payton, and, and being able to, you know, really build, put the building blocks in place. It's a marathon, not a sprint. It's 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 it's, it's somewhat rare in this space, I would say.
2: So that's a good segue, Ross, uh, Payton. If you wouldn't mind giving our entrepreneurs what's limiting you to one. But one piece of advice for entrepreneurs who are listening and also a piece of advice for investors who are also listening, because we're we're talking a a lot of what Ross is saying is is coming from the perspective of he's sitting in the investor seat and he's sitting through the presentations and he's trying to get to the nuts and bolts about what a company or an opportunity is actually about. But there are also some investors who aren't quite as savvy as perhaps a company would like. So I think that for that community that might be listening, I think that there's probably a bit of advice that you could share that they could find helpful. But if you could kick off with what um, is a piece of advice you have for entrepreneurs listening?
1: Okay. Actually, before I answer that, can I add on to what Ross just said about sure. constraints? Because <clears throat> Ross talked a lot about constraints for resources, whether it be dollars or, or or whatever, or even people. What what kind of kind of access do you have to... People, whether it be employees or mentors or whatever, but there's also more constraints that that may not be as obvious. Okay, emotional constraint. How much emotional roller coaster can you endure through this this whole process? Because there's some amazingly high, amazing highs, but there are also some amazing lows. How much? What kind of constraints is your family going to be able to pl- gonna place on you? I, I was, I am amazingly fortunate because my wife supported me through this whole thing. I mean, look, look, from just a pure financial perspective. You know, what, look what we've done. We've cashed out our 401k. That's our retirement plan. Gone. Okay. We've mortgaged part of the house. Okay. We're, we're putting our house on the line for this darn thing. And that's, that's a bet that she has to make as mu- every, every bit as much as I do. The constraints placed on your children. Okay. I have three kids and you're going to spend a lot of time on this thing. And we ended up pulling many, many all-nighters. Which means I don't get to be there for my kids when they come home from school or whatever, and so th- those are some of the other constraints that that you got to realize that that may not be as tangible but are very very much real. And you know, last but not, last but not least, your own health. This is not an easy path, and so your health might take a beating. Right, you might not get to go work out as much as you do, or maybe you might have to work out more just to, to just to blow off some of that steam. And, and so, be honest with yourself and, and figure out: Okay, well, am I really in this thing? How much am I really willing to commit to this thing? And how much am I willing to commit my family to this thing? And there are going to be naysayers out there, whomever they might be. And, and are you willing to say, okay, well, thank you for your input, but I'm gonna I'm gonna plow ahead anyway? And so, th- those are some some really important factors that that you really gotta think about because you know there, there were times when there are people that came up to me and says. You walked away from what salary to go do this? Are you out of your bloody mind? And and, and I'm thinking, yeah, because we're ch- we're making the world a better place. We're helping people out. And you know, end of the day, there is a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow as long as I'm willing to keep on digging to get to that pot of gold. I, I tell myself, I guess two things. Or maybe I should say one of my one of my I don't know people tells me this all the time. One of them is just tell yourself it's gonna be okay. No matter no matter how hard it is. It's going to be okay. And she tells me this all the time. And it does get you through, it at least got me through some of the harder, more difficult times. And then the last one is don't ever give up. Uh, just keep going. There's that cartoon going around where this guy's digging a tunnel and he's like two inches away from that, that that bowl of, or that pot of diamonds or whatever it was, that pot of gold. And he just gives up. You never know how close you are, but you got to take one more step. Yeah. So I guess my, my piece of advice to to entrepreneurs is don't give up right it's gonna hurt a hell of a lot but don't give up if you believe if you really believe take one more step just just one more
0: step and see how far you get oh
2: patron you got me a little verklempt on that (laughs) i think that's brilliant advice
0: so patron thank you for sharing that it's actually something we talk a lot about as well how important it is the my my personal experience if I can relate, I can certainly relate to it as a never married, no kids, put everything in, had a lot of, there, there was a very high cost of, on my, per, for me personally, to continue to persevere my dreams of building my company, physically, mentally, relationships, financially. And I was reading a quote, I'll have to think of who it was from, was talking about the, to your, to your comment page and like, everything will be Okay. The quote that stood out for me is that the quote of this too shall pass. But but in a balanced perspective, this too shall pass applies to both the highs and the lows. And there is a constant undulation and it's finding that frequency within those parameters that that allows you to succeed. So Funny story, I was playing golf with, with our one of our partners, Bill, and, and a couple of other business partners in L.A., and, and we were getting to know somebody and was talking a lot about my story, and, and the, the gentleman who was hosting us said, within a earshot of Bill, said, oh, Ross, you sound like one of those 10-year overnight successes, and Bill chimes in and says, well, it was 15, he bogeyed that too. <laughs> so yeah, we're either uh, too dumb to stop or, or it's paying off. So, so Paige, and I love what Maggie was asking as well, if maybe we could wrap up on this. We look a lot at the entrepreneurs and we look a lot at the investors. And that's two sides of the equation that when it's symbiotic, like our relationship, great successes can be had. You've met a lot of other investors out there in, in, in the growth of your company. Do you have some sage advice like you've just shared with us from entrepreneurs that, that you'd like the investors out there to hear? Most definitely.
1: Okay. They call them vulture uh, vulture capitalists and We've certainly met our share of vulture capitalists out there, and so for the entrepreneur, okay, I guess for me for the investor too. Not not all investors are created equal, and just like the team that you're building, the entrep- the, the investor is part of your team. Make no mistake about it, okay? They they are very much a part of your team, and and if you go into an investor thinking ah, I'm just going to get some money from them, and this, they just they just well they'll just wait until the, this this this. Little pile of money turns into a big pile of money. Is is that the right investor you really want? No. And, and you really want an investor to help you along the way, to be a sounding board along the way. Because most of these investors, they've been run the block a couple of times. And so they've seen a lot of stuff. And so you got to look at them as part of your advisement team or literally part of your team team. Because otherwise you're giving up equity in your company for a little bit of money, but whereas you can get a whole lot more than just a little bit of money. I mean, look at Russ. I mean, you and I have been working together for, I don't know, some time now, and look what you brought to the table, right? It's, yes, you've invested money and we really much appreciate that, but look what else you brought to us. You, you've, you've supplemented our marketing team. You've supplemented, you've helped with the accounting stuff. You've helped with introductions to other folks in the, in the ecosystem. It's a whole hell of a lot more than just some money. And, and that 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 cannot be ignored.
0: Well, thank you. <laughs> That's a great endorsement. We enjoy working with you as well, Payton. And and as the, the the VC on the call, we always we hear that term vulture capital. And I think in this sector, it applies more than anything to inexperienced investors. And, and from our from what we've seen. Those investors that tend to be tagged as vulture or making commitments and not funding them or trying for like really creative oddball structures and overreaching on valuation and things like that. Those tend to fit those individuals and in those firms that we've come across you know, are typically this is their first rodeo, right? They're, in, they're excited about cannabis. They want to put some money to work. They think being an investor is the way to do it. But we cut our teeth for, like I said, almost 15 years in healthcare and other sectors and entrepreneurship and investing and managing transactions. I mean, that muscle memory matters. And I think when you see that, because we look at the the relationship the same way you described it, it's a partnership and it's for the long term. So if we're not otherwise adding value beyond just the money we put in the companies we're
1: we're not doing our jobs i'm so happy to hear you say that we we have turned away other uh, firms if you will because we felt that wasn't a good fit their their goals were not in in alignment with ours and so it was painful to do that right when somebody sticks a big check in front of your face and says here it's hard, especially when you only have, the, I think it was only a few hundred bucks in the bank account at the time. <clears throat> and, and, and it's really, really hard. But for the the, the, the the best thing, as a CEO, you have to do what's best for the company. And while it may have helped us through a very short, difficult time, it's, it wasn't best for the company long term. And so you know, we said, I'm sorry, this, this is not going to work for us. We have to restructure it differently.
0: I I'd, I'd love to hear you talk about that page. We've done the same thing when we talk a lot about having to make what it means to make a payroll on a Friday and, and what it means to have to run companies. And and personally, I've, I've gone down that path as well and never once regret. It. And yes, the money seems exciting and a, and a solve for the problems, but there's usually some other issues that need to be addressed. And if you take the money off the table and you're very sanguine about it and, and look at what's happening you have to have that kind of dis- discipline and conviction. I think that's really great advice for the aspiring entrepreneurs out there that are listening to this. It's experience matters, I think is the key takeaway of this conversation and experience matters with your investors as much as your team and your entrepreneurs. and thank you. What a great conversation. And and I would say just for everyone that's listening out there, the thing that's really tremendous about this is that it's really authentic. We we're having conversations that we otherwise would we've had outside of this format of a podcast It's really how we think about working together. And I hope that those of you out there that are getting some insights from Peyton in this conversation can, can, can get some benefit from that.
2: Peyton, thank you so much for your thoughtful responses and anytime you've done anything like this with us before, it's just always been a great experience and your perspectives are very much appreciated. I'm a founder myself and uh, my mentor is also my boss. So I really appreciate a lot of your feedback and the uh, perspectives that you provide. Thank
1: you. And I got to say that I also don't get to have these kinds of conversations with my investors. Yeah. And so thank you for this opportunity.
2: Thanks for listening to today's show.